you're listening to the Telltale Channel. Don't forget to check me out on all social media, Patreon, Twitter, Teespring, and Etsy. All links can be found in the description or on my website, telltaleatheist.com. Dominionism. You might be unfamiliar with the term, but it's basically a Christian political ideology that tries to intertwine Christianity into the political system. Like when Christian extremists try to ban adultery or try to force teachers to lead students in prayer. Prayer isn't banned in schools. It's never been banned in schools. What was banned was teachers leading students in prayer. But dominionists want to portray it as prayer being banned. Well, dominionists are now claiming that California's health restrictions are a sign of end times Christian persecution. Larry Tomzak, an advisor to Dominion legal organization called Liberty Council said this on their podcast recently. Leftist politicians, media, celebrities, educators, and heretical religious leaders are all being manipulated by demonic forces to try to thwart advancement of the gospel of the kingdom at the close of the age. He said California's restrictions are a foreshadowing of what's coming the way of Christians in these end times prior to the return of Jesus Christ. His co-host, Che Ahn, said God told him to have his church start meeting on Pentecost Sunday, May 30th first this year, and to be strong and courageous like Franklin Delano Roosevelt and Winston Churchill taking a stand against totalitarianism. I find it fascinating how these people are convinced the world is coming to an end, and that belief is leading to the destruction of society. Like, believing something to be true makes it more true. It's called the illusory truth effect. They think civilizational destruction is close, so they do things to facilitate it. Like the idea that paper money has inherent value. The more people believe it, the more true it becomes. One person maintaining power is a sign of fascism. That's why the founding fathers in the U.S. wanted a system with terms instead of a monarchy. One clear sign a leader is pushing the country into fascism is when they refuse to give up leadership when their clock runs up. We saw it in Russia. Putin extended his term so he didn't have to leave office until 2036. Same with Erdogan in Turkey. He extended his until 2029. So when Trump proposed delaying the election, it should have been a clear red flag to everybody. But despite the red flag, a scary number of people still back him, even if they don't back that specific idea. Some of his biggest supporters, like Ted Cruz and Mitch McConnell, came out and said, the election will take place as planned. We're not delaying it. But continued to assist in his efforts to attack the integrity of the election by talking shit about mail-in ballots, which is what troops, members of Congress, and presidents have used to vote for decades, even centuries. They want the guy in power, even when they realize he is one of the biggest threats to freedom we have ever seen. November 22, 1963. Lyndon B. Johnson takes over as president after the Kennedy assassination. One of his more famous acts as president was signing the Civil Rights Act of 1964. It wasn't very popular with the Democrat voters. It got Kennedy elected. The Democrat Party was the party that fought to keep slavery. Lincoln, a Republican, fought a war to end it. So when Johnson signed the Civil Rights Act, it pissed a lot of people off. Four years later, in 1968, Nixon, a Republican, created something called the Southern Strategy. He wanted to bring all the old racist Democrats from the South into the Republican Party. The Southern strategy was an electoral strategy to increase political support among white voters in the South by appealing to racism against African Americans. It worked. There was a complete political shift in the 1960s. The Republican Party used to be the party of civil rights back in the days of Lincoln. But Nixon started a movement, appeal to racism, exacerbated. That's been the Republican Party strategy ever since. When Kennedy ran, people were concerned over the fact that he was Catholic. 
Catholic. They were afraid his faith would influence his policy decisions. The Republican Party picked that up and ran with it too, in the 80s and the 90s. Now, faith is viewed as a virtue. If you show you're a Christian dominionist, then you can guarantee the evangelical vote. And Trump is now using the strategy to his advantage. He held an interview with a conservative Catholic TV network called EWTN. He said Democrats want to put the churches out of business and never want them to open. Just like the Southern strategy adopted racism to appeal to voters, the Republican Party uses Christian nationalism to appeal to voters too. He said, you have some states. I think they never want them to open. They don't want churches to open. Look, the Democrats, frankly, if you look at the radical left, Democrats, which are the radical left now, they've gone radical left. Whether you're talking about life or whether you're talking about almost anything, they're not liking it. They're not liking it. The interview went on for a while and there was a lot more of the same thing, but it's one of the primary reasons why I will never vote Republican. I can honestly discuss the merits of tax cuts with people. I can honestly discuss the merits of traditional values, although I disagree with both. But the Republican Party today, after the intentional shift towards racism it saw in the 60s and the intentional shift it made toward religious extremism in the 80s and 90s, I can't ever see myself supporting a Republican administration. Never say never, I guess. This week on the podcast. You guys probably know Jerry Falwell Sr. He lived from 1933 to 2007. He was a Southern Baptist pastor. He facilitated the creation of the evangelical voting bloc. He aimed to seamlessly intertwine politics and religion in the 80s and 90s. And he succeeded. Well, his son, Jerry Falwell Jr., is a mess right now. He's on the board of Liberty University, a famously Christian extremist school. Well, he was on the board. He was forced to resign recently. What the hell happened? Why'd he effectively get kicked off the board? Why are there a ton of pictures of him wearing an effeminate shirt and standing next to a strange woman with both their flies down? Where is his wife in these pictures? Some pictures of Falwell Jr. leaked recently, and he's dealing with some serious fallout. A recent survey shows most Americans oppose religious exemptions to COVID rules. But you wouldn't know it from how the country is reacting to churches having to move their services online. If you hear the Dominionists tell the story, they're being persecuted and attacked for their beliefs. That's the narrative they have to push, because movements gain momentum when there's a martyr. They want to show the world how hated and persecuted they are, and for no reason. Unfortunately for them, a new survey from Pew Research shows that pretty much the only people buying the persecution message they're pushing our fellow dominionists we're going to take a look at the new survey and see what we can learn from it we all know Alex Jones is a nutbag. We've known it for years, but it's been getting progressively worse since he was kicked off public platforms. This is one of the downsides to centering freedom of expression. In this specific case, I actually agree with it. I think YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, and the others did the right thing by kicking Alex Jones off the platforms. But it comes with consequences. If the companies allow their algorithms to boost their insane, dangerous rhetoric, it moves the Overton window of the user base and thus the country in that direction. If you have a bunch of YouTube channels and Twitter accounts talking about extreme right-wing ideas, like QAnon for example. It normalizes the discussion. It makes it more credible. Like people talking about getting microchipped when they're vaccinated. It's insane. But Facebook has allowed the discussion to take place in a big way, and now it's common sentiment. But the consequence to removing people like that from the platform is that they become more and more radicalized in their little bubbles, with nobody to push back against their crazy claims. They run into what I call level one or level two cults. 
cults, radicalized by the people around them to believe insane things. The more radical the idea, the higher your position in the organic hierarchy. Well, that's what happened to Alex Jones since he was removed from the public platforms. Now he's telling his listeners to get ready to die in a fight against the New World Order. He told his listeners to try to overcome their fear of death and be ready to kill as many of them as quickly as possible. Oh, in a defensive way, of course. He said this from behind the InfoWars desk, surrounded by military-style rifles. He said, I want to avoid confrontation. I don't need to put that on my belt. I mean, I don't even want to kill these globalists. But if they want to kill us, the best thing to do is, in a defensive way, kill as many of them as quickly as possible. Again, the media will misquote that. I don't want to offensively kill anybody. But I'm not going to take this, okay? One of the problems with extremism is extremists tend to blur the definitions of words. What is violence? Well, when you think about it, saying certain words can tangibly hurt people people, right? And that's violence. So in a roundabout way, if you think about it, insulting somebody is violence. You could even take it a step further. If you don't like somebody, even if you haven't acted on that dislike, it can play out in your behavior in the form of microaggressions. That could be considered violence, right? So you could say it's self-defense if you physically attack somebody who doesn't like you. Blurring the lines like this, or placing extreme or exaggerated importance on an event or idea, is a sign of extremism. And once you go down that road, it's not easy to find your way back. Before we take a look at all that, let's listen to some voicemails. Don't forget, if you want to call in and leave a voicemail, the number is 1-800-701-8573. Hey, this is Owen. If you're comfortable, leave your first name and state at the sound of the tiny truck backing up. Hello, my name is David, and I'm from Colorado, and I just have a quick question. With COVID-19 continuing to spike in many parts of these United States, and it looking like many things may be heading for a second shutdown. At what point do you predict the return of cart witnesses and the door-to-door missionary activities of both uh, Jehovah's Witness as well as the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, aka the Mormons? And how do you think both of these organizations are going to react to some of the long-term health implications that this pandemic has caused? Thank you very much. That's a good question, and it's a hard question. I'm not really sure. So there's this unique thing with Jehovah's Witnesses where they believe that in the end times they're going to be forced underground. They, be- they believe that they're not going to be allowed to be themselves, basically. They're going to have to hide, kind of like Jewish people in the 1940s. They had to hide, and Jehovah's Witnesses are convinced that this is going to happen to them. And they have been for decades, centuries even. So they have this whole system set up, like Jehovah's Witnesses do, where they can splinter off into sleeper cells, basically, called book study groups, is what it used to be called when I was younger. I think now it's called service groups. And when they splinter off into these service groups, they each have their own established hierarchy who makes decisions and keeps control of of their set of people. And they have this whole plan for exactly how they're going to preach to people, how they're going to continue preaching to people uh, while underground, things like that. And they do that in China because, of course, religion or most religion is banned in China. I believe it's a nationally atheist country. Uh, But Jehovah's Witnesses are in China. They send them as missionaries to China to spread the good word there. They have this whole system of like keeping secrets and only talking to people in code and things like that. So Jehovah's Witnesses have been prepared for this kind of thing for a long 
time. And my suspicion is Jehovah's Witnesses will probably be willing to keep this up for as long as it takes. There has been speculation that the virus is going to continue causing us serious problems through the end of 2021. It's going to be with us for a long time anyways. It's going to be with us forever, possibly, but we're going to find better ways to deal with it so that not so many people die from it and things like that. Plus, we'll have a vaccine at some point in time, whether it's in a month or a year or 10 years. I think Jehovah's Witnesses are pretty much prepared to wait this out in their sleeper cells until the time comes that they can safely emerge. They are probably going to be doing their baptisms just like they planned in, you know, individual people's homes, basically in secret, as though they're being hunted by the government, like they fear is going to happen. Now, as far as the Mormon church goes, Jehovah's Witnesses are largely separated from the government. But Mormonism has more of a stranglehold on the government than Jehovah's Witnesses do. They're more involved in politics. They're more involved in voting and things like that. So they're more likely to get involved in a culture war. And if they're more involved in a culture war, what's probably going to happen is the Mormon church will be more likely to go out there and start knocking on doors again before it's really safe to. There is the added aspect to this, though, that it's really bad optics to go knocking on doors when people are sick. You will be less likely to bring people into the religion if you're doing it when it's unsafe. So I don't, I, I think they're probably going, both of them will most likely wait until there's high public confidence in safety before they go knocking on doors again. Jehovah's Witnesses, I think, are prepared to wait this out until the bitter end in hiding. And Mormons, I think, they'll start doing their conferences and their conventions and their meetings and stuff again when the culture war demands they do, which I'm honestly surprised they haven't already since they're largely a Republican group. Hi, Owen. This is Jonathan from Texas. I was calling to ask a question about something pertaining with my dad. Well, particularly, he talks about homosexuality, and he's a Jehovah's Witness, and he firmly believes in the stance, one man, one woman. So what I'm confused about is he keeps bringing up the state, the counter-argument against this statement of where do you draw the line. So he keeps asking me over and over, where do you draw the line? If you allow a man and a man, then you're going to have to allow a man and a dog or a man and a small boy. Basically, I guess, where do you actually draw the line on those? Good question. Interesting question. I will tell you where I and pretty much everybody else of sound mind draw the line. Two consenting adults. Not even that. Consenting adults, full stop. Consenting adults. That's where I draw the line. If you are capable of consent and mentally clear enough to do so, then what's the problem? Why is it anyone else's business? Why do we care who, who's doing what with whom if, if it's consenting adults? I mean, your dad doesn't have to be involved in this discussion or anything. People like to conflate certain things like that. They like conflating things like that. In reality, there's no comparison. Why does it matter what 
two people in the privacy of their own home do? Two adults. Why does it truly matter? It's just this desperate grasp to maintain traditional values is what it is. It's just this desperate attempt to keep us in the Stone Age and control other people's lives. It's nobody's business what, what consenting adults do in their own homes. Uh, hi, my name's AJ. Uh, I'm from Michigan. I just got done watching the, uh, the last video, or I'm not sure when exactly you get this, uh, but it's the video talking about why religion uh, tends to hate gay people. And they kind of gave me an idea uh, on what to call about. Uh, it's a thing I've been struggling with for quite a while, and I just never thought to, uh, to actually talk to anybody. So I guess this is uh, going to be a first. But uh, I'm gay, and I grew up as one of Jehovah's Witnesses, so you can probably imagine how uh, not fun that was. Uh, but even to this day, after I've been out of the religion for three, four years now, um, I still struggle with the word homosexual and homosexuality. Uh, I, I, it's just never, uh, a, it's just never been a word that I've been comfortable, um, applying to myself. Uh, whenever I hear it, I always think about the, um, uh, the sermon, I guess, you know, when they're, when they're talking, uh, you know, and, and the brothers will have their talk or whatever. And whenever I hear, homosexual and homosexuality uh it, it makes me feel icky because that's how i felt when i when i was there um when i, when I was there at the kingdom hall it i i i get all the the negative connotations and the you know the uh presuppositions or whatever and just everything bad that goes along with those words and uh i, I don't know it's just something that i've been struggling with and I know that it's like, you know, it's perfectly okay. I can, I can look at myself in the mirror and say that I'm gay and be perfectly fine, but it's just those words that I'm just not comfortable with. It actually got cut off there. Um, there, there was a two minute limit basically on the voicemail system. It will automatically shut off after two minutes. And that was the point at which it got cut off. Unfortunately, there, there was a question behind that, but I didn't really get an opportunity to hear the question, unfortunately. But while we're t on this subject, let me just mention, if you want to leave a voicemail, your best bet is to keep it to 30 seconds if possible. It's a pretty much guarantee that I'm going to hear it if it's 30 seconds or less. In this case, I happened to hear it regardless, and I felt like it was an important enough message that I, I play it and talk about it. I definitely know what you mean about having certain terms programmed into you as bad or evil or icky or whatever. And I would be willing to say that you have religious trauma syndrome. I don't know if you've ever heard the term, but um, the definition is a function of both the chronic abuses of harmful religion and the impact of severing one's connection with one's faith and faith community. It can be compared to a combination of PTSD and complex T, uh, I'm sorry, and complex PTSD, CPTSD. You should really um, 
talk to somebody about it. I have it too. I have religious trauma syndrome too. In fact, I'd be willing to bet that a lot of my listeners probably have religious trauma syndrome, essentially PTSD from it. Actually, um, let me just tell this little story about my experience with RTS, religious trauma syndrome. Uh, about a year ago, I think, maybe two years ago, I don't remember when it was now, I think it was two years ago, I went to Bethel with Genetically Modified Skeptic, the Jehovah's Witnesses headquarters, and they have like these tours, and I got in to the tour with Genetically Modified Skeptic and uh, a, a camera guy to basically film our experience with it and everything. It was in New York City, of course. That's where they're headquartered. And it was an extremely traumatizing experience. I went after that, like the next day, we went to Central Park and tried to find cart witnesses so that we could talk to them. The plan was to tell them that I'm disfellowshipped and show the world how they react to that. And it was, uh, it just brought up the darkest shit in my life. So dark that I still have nightmares about Jehovah's Witnesses since then. And I've probably had them on and off over the years anyways, but nightmares like that are actually a sign of post-traumatic stress disorder. And it's like recurring dreams where I'm being shunned and hated by friends and family. And, and they really started kicking in hard after that. Now, don't get me wrong. I am very, very glad that I did that. It was worth it. It was worth the literal trauma that I had to experience to get that footage because it helped somebody. Even if it was just one person, it was still worth it to me to do it and deal with the trauma. But it haunts me. It, it, it wasn't just that either. It wasn't just me going to Bethel or talking to the Jehovah's Witnesses or anything. It was the entire thing, just being a Jehovah's Witness, being raised as one and losing everything and everybody, all of it, just brought on the deepest trauma that I have ever experienced in my life or probably ever will. And I should probably get treatment or something for it, as should most people in my audience. So I would be remiss if I didn't mention that to you. You and I both should probably talk to a therapist, a psychiatrist, about the shit that we have been through in the religion of Jehovah's Witnesses or, or any other extremist cult like that. Hello, Owen. This is Jackson from Oklahoma. Uh, anyways, I was calling uh, because I just recently converted from uh, Christianity to agnostic uh, atheism. And I go to a Christian school. Most of my family uh, are Christians. And 
I'm sort of worried that because of my uh, newfound beliefs that it's possible I could lose friends or not have as close of a relationship with some of my family members. Um, and I don't have much of an outlet really to, I feel like, to talk about this sort of stuff. Uh, I was wondering if you had any advice on this or um, maybe what you did when you were transitioning from being a Jehovah's Witness to uh, an atheist. Um, I don't know. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, and, man, can you feature uh, Alpha Force Zero in another video? I mean, it's been forever, I feel like. Anyways, uh, see ya. Yeah, it, it has been a while since I've featured Alpha Force Zero in a video. Uh, I should really get her back in there. It, it could be interesting. Could be an interesting video. Actually, my most viewed video of all time was with her. I'm not sure why. I guess people just like kids. I don't know. It, it, it's pretty funny, but one of these days, maybe I'll get her back in there. As far as your question goes, for me, it was a very different situation and a very different time than it is now. When I left religion, um, we didn't really have smartphones like we do now. I mean, they, they were around, but they weren't as widespread as they are now. Like, the iPhone had only been out for a couple of years, something like that. This is like back in 2011 or somewhere in there when I started realizing how completely full of shit Jehovah's Witnesses were. When I first left religion, I was actually just kicked out at like 18, and I still believed it for like a really long time. For years, I still believed it. And as time went on, eventually I started to question it a little bit, started to wonder, like, is this complete bullshit or what? And my brother-in-law at the time, my sister's husband at the time, they're divorced now, I believe, he and my sister were both active, baptized Jehovah's Witnesses, still going to meetings, still knocking on doors, still preaching the good word. But he starts talking to me a little bit. Like, we, I was talking to my sister. She, she decided not to shun me, even though she was an active baptized Jehovah's Witness. And I was disfellowshipped. She decided not to shun me. So I was over at her house one day, just chilling, talking to her or whatever. And her husband is, like, her husband comes up to me, and he's like, you know that Joseph Rutherford, the second president, that's who it was, um, had a mansion built for himself with Jehovah's Witnesses' money during the Great Depression when everybody was broke as shit, and he deeded it to, like, all of these Bible characters, like Abraham and Isaac and all these other people, for when Jesus came back and, like, resurrected everybody the mansion would be there for the, for these old Bible characters to own. And mind you, during the Great Depression, remember, he decided to just live in it to keep it warm for them. He didn't want it to, you know, go stale or whatever, I guess. So he lived in this giant-ass mansion built out of Jehovah's Witnesses' money to keep it warm for these Bible characters until they came back. And he had, like, a billion cars and all kinds of stuff when his people were broke as dog shit, didn't have anything to their names, were starving to death, and he's living in this giant mansion. So he's telling me this story about it, and the dots start connecting. Like, 
holy shit, Jehovah's Witnesses are full of it. Like, they are just as sick and corrupt as any group out there. And once I made that connection, that's all it took. I realized they were full of it. I realized every other church was full of it too because that's what Jehovah's Witnesses taught me from a young age. And I just defaulted to not believing in anything. I just defaulted to atheist. Now, there weren't really... There were probably communities back then. In fact, there were communities of atheists back then. The hard part is getting involved in those communities. You have to get involved in them. I'm on Twitter. There are a bunch of people like me on Twitter. Mr. Atheist and Shannon Q and uh, just a bunch of people. A bunch of atheist YouTubers. We're all on Twitter. And there are a bunch of normal atheists who aren't YouTubers on Twitter too. Get involved there. If you can't find anybody in real life, you have to get involved there. Talk to them. Talk to all of us on Twitter, on Discord, on Facebook, everywhere. Uh, Community is very, very important. When you're trying to find an outlet, the internet is right now the best place to turn. Let's take a look at super chats real quick. Somebody, this isn't a super chat, but somebody asked, how did I not interpret that as an apostate lie? The answer is, at that point in my life, I was pretty much ready to give up on the belief system already. It had been years since I had been brainwashed, since the last brainwashing session had taken place, like going to meetings or talking to elders or anything like that. The brainwashing had effectively been unplugged for me, and all it really took was for me to hear that and then just kind of look it up just to verify. And sure enough, it was in their literature, mentions of Beth Sarim, the mansion that, that was built. They eventually, I think, retroactively went back and removed some mentions of it. In some cases, they labeled some literature as apostate material. Some of their literature, like Jehovah's Witnesses, Watchtowers, and Awakes, was labeled apostate material, basically so that active members wouldn't have access to it and would be afraid to look at it, that kind of thing. But yeah, it, it's right. it was right there in their literature. That's all I really needed to know. And that, that's, that was the straw that broke the camel's back, effectively. So, life in the doghouse. My coworker told me a great joke last week. Pavlov walks into a bar. The bell above the door dings when he opens the door. Pavlov stops and says, damn it, I forgot to feed the dog. Oh, that's funny. Because, yeah, I, I, I get the joke. I hope everyone else gets the joke. I think that's pretty clever. Life in the doghouse. Another coworker asked me who would win in a fight between Pavlov's dog and Schrodinger's cat. I guess we'll never know, huh? Both Simon simultaneously win and lose until you look at the the fight at the end of it and then nature forces a decision on him. When we come back, we're going to talk about Jerry Falwell Jr. being removed from the board of Liberty University for his failure to live up to his own ethical standards. So give us 30 seconds and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Telltale Channel. Don't forget to check me out on all social media, Patreon, Twitter, Teespring, and Etsy. All links can be found in the description or on my website, telltaleatheist.com. The first article I wanted to take a look at is entitled, Jerry Falwell Jr. posted this bizarre picture on Instagram, then deleted it. 
This is by Beth Stoneburner on the Friendly Atheist website, so let's give it a read and see what it says. Does anyone know what's going on with Jerry Falwell Jr.? Normally, the private activities of a man on his private yacht would be no concern of ours, but they become relevant when the man is the head of Liberty University, a school that would expel students if they were caught acting like him. Falwell allegedly posted, then soon deleted, a rather suggestive picture on his personal Instagram page. What's up with his shirt? What is going on with his shirt right now? What is this? It looks like it's tied in a knot, you know, and then like flipped up like women sometimes do. That's kind of weird, right? What's he doing with his shirt there? And who is this chick? The caption under the picture says, Jerry Falwell Jr., more vacation shots. Lots of good friends visited us on the yacht. I promise that's just black water in my glass. It was prop only. Uh-oh. That's not good. Back to Beth Stoneburner. Who is the lady? A friend, apparently. What's in Falwell's glass? Black water, quote-unquote. What are they doing? Trailer Park Boys cosplay? Actually, Trailer Park Boys is pretty funny. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that, but I, I've seen it. And I knew people like that, seriously. I mean, I live in, like, Appalachia. I live in the mountains in West Virginia, and it's just a mess. Back to Beth Stoneburner. It gets stranger when you realize people can't make any sense of this. Let me play it and see what it says here. The sound had to be removed for copyright reasons, so I sped up the video. It's just a video of a Trailer Park Boys ripoff, starring Jerry Falwell Jr. Oh my god! Is that real? Did that really come from... Did that really come from Jerry Falwell Jr.'s account, or is that fabricated after the fact? I don't know if somebody took pictures and stuff, but they were smoking cigarettes. That's not good. That is not good. This guy is, like, this guy is on the board of Liberty University. He's supposed to be, like, the leader of the moral majority. Like, his father invented that whole thing. His father is the one who so completely intertwined religion and politics. They're supposed to be so above board. I cannot believe that they posted this. That is... Nuts. All right, let's continue reading. This is a quote from Chris Hayes. Uh, of course, Chris Hayes, the news anchor, I believe. Can someone confirm if that Falwell photo is real or not? I'm losing my mind. Beth Stoneburner. Here's a more telling reaction. Falkirk Center fellow Malaki O'Brien initially insisted the image was fake before having to correct himself and say it was real, but just taken out of context. This is a quote from Chris Creech. Woo, look at that tweet Malaki O'Brien just deleted after getting some pushback from me. And then this is another quote from Malaki. I deleted after I got more context on the photo. It was Jerry, so I was wrong. It was a photo taken out of context of the other photos with it. Did you know that? What it was was being used to imply is ungodly and seems to have been posted out of context for that reason. This is Beth Stoneburner again. This is hardly the first time Falwell's been linked to questionable behaviors. Quote, There have been reports that President Donald Trump's one-time fixer-turned-adversary Michael Cohen once briefly attempted to help the Falwells deal with a leak of sexually revealing photos and photographs of Falwell at a nightclub have surfaced. Falwell has said the images were photoshopped. 
They were not photoshopped, says Beth Stoneburner. And how many times do we have to see Falwell in context before the excuse of the pictures being taken out of context loses all meaning? Again, in another case with another person, it would be easy to say his private life shouldn't concern us. But when Falwell's entire brand is promoting conservative Christianity, and when students at Liberty U are prohibited from consuming alcohol, and were once punished for being at parties where alcohol was present, and when he posts weirdly sexual images with a woman who's not his wife, it seems at least worth noting his actions. It's hard to imagine Falwell accidentally posting any of this stuff. It's possible he posted it knowing he would get a reaction, even if it was up temporarily. Why? Who knows? Here's another possibility. In the near future, if you Google something like Falwell and picture, it's possible this photo will come up instead of pictures of Falwell's recent racist tweet. British Prime Minister Boris Johnson allegedly did something similar. In any case, it's hard to take his claims of moral superiority to the so-called godless left seriously when he's behaving like a frat boy gone wild. With all the negative press he's had lately, you'd think that Falwell would try to steer clear of controversy, but better judgment seems to go against everything he represents. Yeah, that's a whole lot of information to take in. Falwell is disturbing, but... But there's more to this story. This is not the end of the story. There's another article on this subject entitled, Jerry Falwell Jr. is taking an indefinite leave of absence from Liberty U. This makes me wonder if maybe it really was intentional. Like, I get that there's a possibility that maybe Falwell posted this really bizarre picture so that this would come up when you Google Jerry Falwell Jr. instead of some genuinely bad stuff that he said. But there are serious real-world consequences to this picture for Jerry Falwell Jr. So let's read the article and see what it says. This is by Hemant Mehta. So now we know what it takes for Jerry Falwell Jr. to step away from Liberty University. The school issued a one-sentence statement tonight saying Falwell would take an indefinite leave of absence. Quote, The Executive Committee of Liberty University's Board of Trustees, acting on behalf of the full board, met today and requested that Jerry Falwell Jr. take an indefinite leave of absence from his roles as President and Chancellor of Liberty University, to which he has agreed effective immediately. Back to Hemant Mehta. Here's what I want to know. Why now? Earlier this week, Falwell made headlines for posting, then deleting, a picture on Instagram in which his arm was around a woman who wasn't his wife, with their bellies hanging out, with their flies down, and Falwell holding a glass of what he called black water. Huh! Good point. Didn't notice the flies. That's weird, right? That is super strange. Oh my god, this guy is in so much shit right now. Back to what Hemet Mehta was saying. He was apparently taking part in some Trailer Park Boys theme party. But more to the point, if a student at Liberty was found taking a suggestive picture like that, or even holding alcohol, or even attending a party where alcohol was present, it could be grounds for expulsion. The hypocrisy was unbelievable. The bad press no doubt played into today's decision. It didn't help that a GOP lawmaker, Representative Mark Walker of North Carolina, who once taught at Liberty, called for Falwell to step down yesterday. Truly what blows my mind about this whole situation is the fact that this is what it took to get him removed. This is what it took, really. This guy is a fucking monster. This guy is a monster. 
and it took him going to some party with a drink in his hand, a suspicious drink in his hand to get removed after all of the horrific shit this guy has done and his father has done. This is what it took, really. It's sad, honestly. The bad press no doubt played in today's decision, but it didn't help that a GOP lawmaker, Representative Mark Walker of North Carolina, who once taught at Liberty, called for Falwell to step down yesterday. This is a quote. Jerry Falwell Jr.'s ongoing behavior is appalling. As a music faculty advisory board member and former instructor at Liberty U, I'm convinced Falwell should step down. None of us are perfect, but students, faculty, alumni, and Liberty University praise deserve better. I'm not sure what LU praise is. It's just a Twitter handle. That was said by Representative Mark Walker. Back to Hemant Mehta. Walker isn't one to talk. You can't belong to a political party whose leader is Donald Trump, then say someone else's behavior is appalling. Very true. It's telling, however, that this is the scandal that broke the camel's back from Liberty's board of trustees. It's not Falwell's racist tweet from May. It's not the way he targeted reporters who were doing their job. It's not the way his racism caused black athletes to transfer out of Liberty over the past several months. It's not because when a parent questioned his decision to reopen the school, he called the father a dummy. It's not his lies about the origin of coronavirus. It's not the sweet land deal he gave his personal trainer. It's not the poor boy scandal. It's not the way he censored the school's own journalists. It's not the distribution of racy personal pictures that somehow involved Michael Cohen. It's the yacht picture. Seriously, of all the reasons for Falwell to step down, that picture was the least of anyone's concerns. But I'll go ahead and make this prediction. Falwell is doing this because it's the easiest way to survive the scandal. Consider how this is the ideal year for him to step away from Liberty U. For the same reason, it's a good time for high school graduates to take a gap year. The school year is already in chaos. If you need to take a break, now's the time to do it. A year from now, I fully expect Falwell will return after saying he took some needed time off, spent a lot of time reading the Bible, got, it, got reacquainted with God, and turned a new leaf in his personal life. The students will then go back to calling him Jerry on campus. The board of trustees will welcome him back with open arms before they all go back to their donors to ask for cash, and nothing will truly change. Falwell, like Trump, doesn't truly know how to apologize. I can't imagine that he's suddenly seen the light. He's just doing some damage control. That's very likely. I mean, the guy has been embroiled in a billion bizarre scandals, and he is truly a monster. But I was just talking about this recently. In a lot of ways, I have trouble blaming some people for their bad behavior. Like, for example, look at Jerry Falwell. Look at Jerry Falwell's dad. Who was Jerry Falwell Jr.'s dad? That guy was a fucking monster in the truest sense. He destroyed countless lives. He has negatively impacted millions of people's lives. Millions. When you have a father like that guy, how can you expect somebody to grow up to be well-balanced? Like, look at Donald Trump. Why does he fawn after people's affection? And when he doesn't receive it from them, destroy them on Twitter, destroy their careers, ruin their lives. Why does he act like that? Why does Donald Trump attack somebody when they 
make it clear that they're not his biggest fan. Ultimately, the reason is because, I suspect, he never received approval or love from his dad. Trump's dad abused and mistreated him terribly. Nobody in Donald Trump's life has ever shown him unconditional love and approval. Nobody has ever said to him who he really cared about and whose opinion he valued, Donald, you're doing a good job and you're a good guy and I love you. I don't know if anybody has ever said those words to him, anybody that's truly important to him. And that is why Donald Trump will ruin your life if you don't give him the approval that he needs. When you realize that, you stop hating the guy and you start to feel bad for him. You start to realize that like none of this is really Donald Trump's fault. Like his personality is not his fault. He needs therapy. He needs treatment. Now we know he's not going to get treatment. That's just not going to happen. He he doesn't believe he needs it. So barring that, he needs to be removed from society for society's sake. Like taken out of the position of power, maybe put in jail to protect us from him. But I don't hate Donald Trump. I feel pity for the guy because he's so broken inside. And it's the same with Jerry Falwell Jr. He's a monster. Jerry Falwell Jr. is a monster. But look at who his dad was. I feel pity for Jerry Falwell Jr. And I feel like society needs to be protected from him. Let's take a quick glance at the Super Chats. Life in the Doghouse, I'd love to hear the wholesome Christian explanation for that photo. I think it's pretty clear there isn't one, and he knows there isn't one, and everyone else does too. Um, we're just not going to get an explanation. There, There is no explanation for that. He was breaking the rules that his father set up for him, and that he has carried on himself. And he's going to have to pay the price for that. As much as somebody in his position will pay a price... He probably won't pay much of one. What is being removed from Liberty University's presidency? Like, what, what does that really mean to him? Who fucking cares? He's a millionaire. Doesn't matter to him. Doesn't matter to anybody else. He can go on about his life the same as it was before, except he doesn't have a job to go to every day. He's probably going to be happier now, honestly. I don't know that there are going to be any consequences against him. Um, unfortunately, but at least he'll be removed from a position of power. That's something. Like I was saying earlier, I just want Trump removed from a position of power for our own protection. This guy's being removed from power now. I'm less worried about revenge and more worried about fixing the problem. I, I would love to see this guy pay for his crimes. Justice. But if nothing else... 
I want society to be protected from him, if absolutely nothing else. And being removed from that position means there will be some level of protection. Some level. When we come back, we're going to talk about a new survey showing that most Americans don't want churches to be exempted from the COVID rules. So give us 30 seconds and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Telltale Channel. Don't forget to check me out on all social media, Patreon, Twitter, Teespring, and Etsy. All links can be found in the description or on my website, telltaleatheist.com. So the next article I wanted to take a look at is entitled, This Survey Says Most Americans Oppose Religious Exemptions to COVID Rules. This is by Hemant Mehta on the Friendly Atheist website. So let's give it a read and see what it says. There are a number of pastors, some running large churches, who believe they should be allowed to meet in person regardless of the restrictions in place for other indoor venues. They don't want to mandate masks. They don't really stop people from interacting with each other. We know this because we've seen videos of their services. Those pastors generate a disproportionate number of headlines because, well, they're insane. They're putting people in danger, and they don't give a damn. You might get the impression that they represent a large segment of the Christian world. But here's some sobering news. According to a new survey from the Pew Research Center, the vast majority of Americans, 79%, believe houses of worship should be subject to the same rules as everywhere else. More importantly, 74% of Christians agree with that sentiment. Among evangelicals who are less prone to taking this virus seriously, it's 62%. Eight in ten Americans, including three-quarters of Christians, say houses of worship should be subject to the same social distance rules as other organizations. And this is a chart from Pew Research. They surveyed all U.S. adults. Well, you know. They surveyed people, and of the U.S. adults they surveyed, 79% said they should follow the same rules. 19% said they should be allowed more flexibility with the rules. 74% of Christians said they should be required to follow the same rules. 25% said they should be allowed more flexibility with the rules. Why would anybody say they should be allowed more flexibility with the rules? You know what else I find interesting about this, uh, this survey? The fact that these numbers roughly, give or take, mirror the percentages of people who believe that Noah's Ark is a real, literal story versus just a, a tale, an allegory, or whatever. That is really interesting. It used to be 42 to 43% of the country believed that Noah's Ark was a real, literal story, now we're down to about 25%, give or take. That's an interesting sign. That means that science is roughly winning out. But as we'll talk about in a little while, it's kind of effectively boiling down to the most extreme people. It's becoming more and more polarized. The people who still refuse to accept evolution as a fact are getting more and more radicalized. They're going to get more and more extreme, and they're going to refuse to change their position no matter what. So that number is probably going to keep ticking down a little bit, but there's going to be a point at which that number is not going down any further. It's like Donald Trump's support base, basically. It's like he can fuck up and fuck up and fuck up over and over again, 
and you'll pick off a few percentage points here or there, but at a certain point, there will come a time where nobody else is leaving his support base. Everybody who supports him at, at some point in time is going to be there to stay. He could literally shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and not lose any more of those voters. Where is that number? I mean, Trump literally sent the military into U.S. cities to quell protests. That is the definition of fascism and the extermination of freedom of speech. And some small percentage of the country supported him in that decision. That is insane. Those people never change their minds on Trump, ever. It's like my mom. She will never change her mind on Jehovah's Witnesses, no matter what. She could be subjected to Chinese water torture, and she would come out the other side a Jehovah's Witness, bottom line. When you're walking into these types of conversations with people, you have to assume that their minds can be changed. You have to assume that every criminal in prison can be rehabilitated, even though that's unrealistic, even though we know that's not the case, even though there are some percentage of criminals who will never be rehabilitated, some percentage of Jehovah's Witnesses who will never be deprogrammed, some percentage of Trump supporters who will never be deprogrammed. We have to walk into every conversation expecting or assuming that there's a possibility that this one could. So on an individual basis, you have to assume the best case scenario for these people, generally speaking. That's my opinion on it. But on a statistical level, Jehovah's Witnesses as a religion will never go away. Trump supporters will always, some percentage will always support him. We will always have the anti-evolution monkey on our back as a country, unfortunately. But this survey is an interesting indication of the culture war and where people fit within it and how many people are a part of it. Roughly, give or take, the same number of people who don't accept evolution as the fact that it is. Let's continue reading. It's somewhat refreshing to realize most people are sensible, but it's truly troubling that anyone would think a church should face fewer restrictions when it comes to a virus that doesn't care what religion you are. The same survey found that only 18% of evangelicals say their churches are closed. Most of them, 64%, said their churches are open with modifications. A shocking 18% said that things are already back to normal. Compare those numbers to those of historically black Protestants. 41% say their churches are closed, 46% say their churches are open with modifications, and only 10% say their churches are operating the same as always, versus the 18% of evangelicals that said things are already back to normal. And yet, while most public schools have switched to online learning, and the ones that haven't are learning the hard way that they should have done just that, 
Many churches still believe they don't need to take a whole host of precautions. The pandemic will be prolonged because too many people in positions of power insist there's nothing to worry about. They're wrong. Unfortunately, we all have to suffer because of their irresponsible actions. Just fucking wear a mask. Masks hamper the spread of the virus so effectively. And we've got this stupid culture war where people are obsessed with not wearing masks. What is the harm? There's minimal effort that goes into wearing a mask. Seriously, just wear one. What's the big deal? I don't get it. I have a mask that has vents on it. I found out recently that those are less preferred than just plain full face masks without vents. So I went and bought one. Just a plain black face mask. I feel pretty dope. I feel like a hard ass in this mask, honestly. Let's take a look at the super chats. Life in the doghouse. A weird thing I've seen on Facebook is Christians acting like the temporary restrictions placed on churches are a precursor to Christianity being outlawed. I'm going to cover that on Thursday on my main channel. Um, it's, it's pretty outlandish. Evan Inge. I'm going to say it. It's Monday, and because I'm not Nervardia, you fell for it. Deal with it. <laughs> Let's take a short 30-second break. When we come back, we're going to talk about Alex Jones coming unhinged again over the New World Order. So give us 30 seconds, and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Telltale Channel. Don't forget to check me out on all social media, Patreon, Twitter, Teespring, and Etsy. All links can be found in the description or on my website, telltaleatheist.com. So the next article I wanted to take a look at is entitled Alex Jones tells his listeners to get ready to die in a fight against the new world order. This is on rightwingwatch.org. So let's give it a read and see what it has to say. Right-wing conspiracy monger Alex Jones said last Wednesday that his years-old warnings about a globalist New World Order takeover of the United States were coming true, so his listeners should try to overcome their fear of death and be ready to kill as many of them as quickly as possible, in a defensive way, he added. Issuing his latest conspiracy theory from behind an InfoWars news desk displaying military-style rifles, Jones told listeners of The Alex Jones Show that his outlet had confirmed that Maoists in major cities have explosives and weapons and trucks loaded with ammonium nitrate and just chlorine gas everything and are preparing to murder government officials and right-wing talk show hosts. Jones cautioned listeners to avoid jumping first at the supposed threat but said they should be ready to start killing people. Let me just point something out here. I found it fascinating that he brought up ammonium nitrate specifically after that whole Beirut situation happened. We found out that the Beirut explosion was the result of ammonium nitrate basically being stored in a warehouse and it became unstable and exploded. Well, I actually went to college for chemistry for like a year or something like that. And I know a lot about how this whole thing operates. I actually got ammonium nitrate from a cold pack from Walmart like years and years ago. And it's just like when you open it, you find that there are these little tiny white pellets inside, which is the ammonium nitrate and water. And when you break the, the bag of water in the cold pack, it 
covers the ammonium nitrate pellets, and it's got an exothermic reaction or an endothermic reaction. I, I think it's endothermic. I don't remember which one. Basically, it gets really, really cold, and you put it on, like, your leg or whatever is hurting, and it and it helps. The cold helps. So ammonium nitrate has some really interesting properties to it. If you use ammonium nitrate with fuel oil, like diesel fuel, for example, and you mix the two, it makes ANFO, which is what they use to like basically carve out mountaintops and stuff like that. Ammonium nitrate isn't actually the explosive. It's the uh, oxidizer. It takes oxygen, an ignition source, and fuel to make fire, right? We were all taught that when we were younger. The ammonium nitrate effectively acts as the oxygen in the equation. Another use for ammonium nitrate is as an oxidizer basically for plants. You find ammonium nitrate in fertilizer. It helps plants grow really well. And that's why when you see like all these crime shows or whatever, you see people carrying fertilizer into a big greenhouse. That's why. They're basically filtering out the ammonium nitrate and using that to to combine with fuel oil and so on and so forth. You get the idea. So ammonium nitrate on its own is not particularly useful except for making laughing gas. You can do that. If you heat it up to a certain temperature, then laughing gas comes out of it. Nitrous oxide. So why did Alex Jones specifically mention ammonium nitrate? That's what they have? That's weird. That That's bizarre, right? Here's the issue with Alex Jones. A while back, I'm sure a lot of you know, he was kicked off of YouTube and Spotify and iTunes and all these other platforms, right? Because he was really, really extreme. He had some very extreme ideas. And it was a really controversial thing at the time. Should they have done it? Shouldn't they have? I'm not really here to say one way or another. Generally speaking, I think sunlight is the best disinfectant, usually. But there are consequences to each decision. If you leave an extremist group on your platform, if you allow your algorithm to boost their posts and push it out into the world, push their crazy ideas out into the world, what you're doing is you're making their ideas more mainstream, basically. If their ideas are allowed to spread through the population, then they will become more mainstream and more accepted. It's called the Overton window. I've talked about it before. It's the window of acceptable public discourse. If, for example, say 30 years ago, it would have been unacceptable to go to a TED Talk and try to, if TED Talks existed at the time, and try to talk about the merits of communism because of the Red Scare and everything. I would have been laughed off stage. It's totally absurd to give any kind of credence to communism, at, at least at that point in time. Now, not so much. Now, Communism has been discussed more and more in culture, and it's a more acceptable, not completely acceptable, but more acceptable subject to bring up. FYI, I am not communist. I do not believe that communism is the way to go by any stretch of the imagination. I'm just saying, within public discourse 30 years ago, it was not within our Overton window. Now, it is in our Overton window. It is in the window of public discourse. It's acceptable. So what happens when you ban somebody from a platform like this? If you leave them on the platform, their ideas spread through culture 
and become more mainstream and, and affect the Overton window, make it more acceptable. It, it's the same effect that we've seen taking place with Trump as the president. He has moved the Overton window further toward fascism and further toward extremist right-wing ideology, basically, for better or worse. But if you remove them from the public discourse, like Apple and YouTube and Spotify did, if you remove him from a platform where he can spread his ideas far and wide, then what happens is his group becomes more insulated and they progress down the extremism path because he's not in the public. Nobody is really watching to criticize him. Nobody is really keeping him in check. There is no accountability on his insane ideas. Like when he brought up the Sandy Hook stuff, a ton of news outlets and a ton of YouTubers criticized him for it and said, this is insane. You're an idiot. He got sued for it. Nobody's watching now. He is on his own platform, on his website, and he can say anything he wants. Nobody's paying attention. Except Right Wing Watch. Right Wing Watch is paying attention. It's, you know, the odd person here or there is paying attention to what he's doing, like me. But John Oliver did a segment on him, and a bunch of other people did. Do you suspect we're going to see a segment about this? Maybe. But the chances are lower since he isn't really in the public discourse anymore. So when you're dealing with censorship, this is the dilemma you face. Do you want it to poison public discourse, but only a little bit in trade for having accountability for these people? Generally, I say yes, for the most part. Or do you want to detach him from the public discourse in large part and let him radicalize himself and his smaller user base more and more and more in this case he has become more and more radicalized for better or worse and now we're left with somebody who is saying genuinely scary things genuinely scary things let's continue reading the article and and see what else he said I thought about reading this whole thing in my Alex Jones voice, but that actually hurts my throat a lot, so I'm not going to do that. I'll do it for like a sentence or two. I want to avoid confrontation. I don't need to put that on my belt. That I mean, I don't even want to kill these globalists. Okay, that's all I can do. That's the best impression I can do for now. But if they want to kill us, the best thing to do in a defensive way is to kill as many of them as quickly as possible. Again, the media will misquote that. I don't want to offensively kill anybody, but I'm not going to take this, okay? He said. Jones recommended that people start taking down names and making a list like Santa Claus and to just think about the future. That's scary. I actually know an Alex Jones supporter and listener. Holy shit, dude, that's scary. Quote, if they take down your country, if they destroy your bank account, they murder a bunch of patriot leaders, what are you going to do? Because you always talked about when the New World Order came in and when the UN did this, you were going to go out and shoot folks in the blue helmets. But they don't wear blue helmets. They show up in black uniforms and burn down your local courthouse and overthrow your government, ruin your life, Jones said. Oh, man, this is really disturbing stuff. And once they get control of your police, those officers are programmed robots now. They'll follow orders to come after you. Jones told viewers not to have a civil war with the cops, even if they're captured and cowards and bad people, some of them, but rather to wage the war against academics and the establishment perverts that run it. This is a quote. 
If you're running a war, you kill high-value targets, and that means the leadership of the New World Order, Jones said. Jones told his listeners that they need to mentally prepare themselves to die for the cause. Quote, I don't say that to act tough. As men, we have to decide we're dead already. It's easy. You'll never be freer to the point you're ready to die. Just get over it. It's not, not a big deal. Jones said. The enemy is not the loser meth head playing video games that is told by the media and given $100 a day to go out and do this. They're not the target. You do nothing killing them. And I don't want you to kill anybody right now, but I want you to understand where they've taken us and what they've done and that every single globalist New World Order operative at an executive level is an enemy combatant of humanity. Now is not the time, Jones said. You'll know the time. In 2015, then-candidate Donald Trump appeared on InfoWars with Jones and told the far-right radio host that his reputation is amazing. This is a quote. I will not let you down. You'll be very, very impressed, I hope, Trump said to Jones. I think we'll be speaking a lot, but you'll be looking to me in a year or two. Let's give me a little bit of time to run things, but a year into office, you'll be saying, wow, I remember that interview. He said he was going to do it, and he did a great job. This is very scary. This, this video is guaranteed to come down by YouTube. That's some scary shit right there. That is the end result of isolating a group and letting them become more and more radical. There there really isn't much that you can do to stop it, though, honestly. Like, look at Jehovah's Witnesses, for example. They're not the violent type. They're pacifists, complete pacifists. But they isolate their membership from outside information in many ways. There's really no way to stop that from happening, truly, while continuing to maintain human rights. There's no way to stop the radicalization while maintaining human rights, period. There just isn't. So what do you do? Truly and honestly, I believe that the best way to deal with this type of thing is to have this information, to have these people out in the open so that they can be criticized by the media and by the public. Their comments should be criticized by the public. Instead, Jones is completely isolated in a little tiny echo chamber where they all get more and more radical and you end up with things like this. Let's take a quick glance at some super chats here. Bud123 said endothermic. My mistake. Yeah, it's endothermic. Where the reaction releases cold instead or pulls heat out of things, I guess, because heat is actually the state of matter being really energized and moving really quickly. Cold is being less energetic, having less energetic molecules uh, moving around. So endothermic, I guess, is where the molecules are settling. Styx Lurker, have you ever seen the movie Man from Earth? If so, what's your take? I have not. I'm sorry. I have not seen that movie, unfortunately. Uh, J.E., I left you a voicemail that's around 42 seconds long or so. Hope that wasn't too long. I've I have to head to work, though. I'm not sure which one yours was, but I have listened to all of them and cleared them and put them in a folder. And I had, I think, 11 voicemails that I really wanted to listen to tonight, but I couldn't. I did not have time, unfortunately. I will get to the rest of the voicemails next week and then the week after, though. You can count on it. So hopefully yours is in that list. I don't see why it wouldn't be. That's where I'm going to end it for the night. I appreciate you guys coming on and giving this a listen, and I will talk to you next week. 
If you like what I do and you want to make sure I can continue to do it, you can support me in a few ways. First, you can support me on Patreon. That's probably the best way. But if you want to get something back for your support, you can check out my Teespring. I sell all kinds of shirts and stickers and stuff on there. Second, you can support me by checking out my Etsy store. I sell 3D printed stands for every system from the original Nintendo to the Xbox One. And finally, if you want to support me in other ways, you can check me out on my other channels. I have the podcast channel, which is where I talk about whatever's on my mind. Politics, social issues whatever. You can also find it everywhere podcasts can be found. Or you can check out the videos on my main channel where I focus on destructive cults. As it is with most channels these days, I rely on the support of viewers like you to keep my channel alive, so sharing my work is extremely helpful. Anyways, check me out in all those places if you haven't already. Thanks for listening, guys.